podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello everyone and welcome to the first TSFP of the season. I'm Phil Kitramalides, joined as ever by Sid Lowe. Sydney, it's our 10th season doing the podcast. It's a milestone. How are you feeling at the start of our 10th season, Sid? <laughs> I'd forgotten what Mondays were like. I've gone a little little while without doing Mondays. Uh, and the Monday, obviously, largely because Sunday nights always finish so late and last night in particular finished very, very late. Um, but yeah, it's good. It's quite exciting. Yes, good. I, yeah, I felt like there was a lot that happened this weekend and a lot that was quite fun and a lot that made you think, ah, oh, yeah, we're back. We are back. We're very, very much back and we're very delighted to be here because, yeah, we get a little bit exhausted during the season, particularly Sydney, who's on his knees when it comes to the end of the campaign. And then a couple of days later, he is itching for the football to return. So it's returned and you're uh, back in your natural habitat, Sydney, which last night was the uh, Coliseum Alfonso Perez. Anyway, uh, we'll get on to that uh, in just a moment. As we said, TSFP is back for the new season. We'll be bringing you the latest from La Liga every single Monday for free right here uh, on this uh, Monday feed. If you want more, head over to patreon.com forward slash TSFP. Patrons get the Monday pod ad-free, a Q&A pod on Tuesdays, a bonus pod on Thursdays or Fridays. Plus there's TSFP Presents, Rincon Cultural, the TSFP Discord, Zoom calls with us and Al's paper reviews. Join us. If you sign up for the year, you get 10% off. So come and join us at patreon.com forward slash TSFP. This is what happened then on match day one of the 23-24 campaign. Friday night saw the mighty Raya Vallecano get things off to a, a brilliant start by beating Anne-Maria 2-0 at the Power Horse Stadium. Isi Palafon uh, scoring the first goal of the season from the penalty spot. Randy Intega scored the second, also a penalty for the mighty Rio. Uh, Valencia pulled off something of a shock by going to the Europa League holders, Sevilla, and beating them by two goals to one. We'll talk a bit about Valencia, but they're a very, very young squad. The youngest squad in the division, possibly the worst Valencia squad in living memory, and yet they produced a, a pretty vibrant performance to beat Sevilla 2-1. Then on Saturday, Real Sociedad and Girona played out a 1-1 draw. It was the same scoreline between Las Palmas and Mallorca, and Real Madrid went up to Bilbao, to uh, the uh, Catedral San Mames, and beat Athletic Club by two goals to nil, Rodrigo and Jude Bellingham scoring on his debut. On Sunday, the Rafa Benitez era at Celta Vigo got off to a losing start. It was sold out at Balaidos, but they were beaten 2-0 at home by Osasuna. Uh, Real Betis beat Villarreal at 2-1 at the Estadio de la Ceramica, a 95th minute winner from William Jose. Isco made his debut and played really well as well for uh, uh, Betis. And then Sunday night football, and we use the word football in the looser sense of the word, was Getafe nil, Barca nil, a game which has given us uh, a lot, a lot to talk about. Uh, Monday night football, there's two games, so obviously we can't talk about them, Cadiz Alaves and Atleti against Granada. We have to start then, Sydney, by the game you were at last night and very nearly this morning, uh, Getafe nil, Barcelona nil. It was a, a 9.30 kickoff. It finished at quarter to midnight. Uh, the game, this game, which has given us, as we said, uh, lots for us to talk about. There are footballing aspects that we absolutely want to discuss because it was, you know, there was plenty for us to talk about uh, from Barcelona. It was the debut of Ilkay Gundogan, debut of Uriel Romeo as well. But we have to start with the general sensations uh, from this game. Twenty-six minutes 
of added time in total. Uh, I think it was 10 at the end of the first half, 9 at the end of the second half, which ended up being 16 uh, because of a pretty long VAR review. More on that in a minute or not. Um, Xavi afterwards said it is a disgrace if this is the spectacle that we want to sell uh, for La Liga. It is a disgrace. There were some pretty forthright words from him and the uh, uh, Barca players who weren't happy at all. Yeah, um, and, and just to start with the time, which I think is possibly the most sort of significant element in terms of kind of trying to sum it all up. What this does for me, and this is a much broader debate, is I think it underlines that the idea that you just add time doesn't necessarily resolve the issues you're confronted with, which is the, the flow of the game, the amount of time that's wasted. Uh, if you look at the statistics from last night, um, you get what is 116 minutes, nearly 117 minutes, of which, according to Opta, although I've actually seen another stat which is even lower than this, but let's let's go with the Opta stat because I suspect it's the one that's most likely to be correct. Um, according to Opta, the ball was in play for 60 of them. So that's a lot of time, the ball not in play, a lot of time, almost 60 minutes, almost an, an hour's worth. Now, actually, if you look at it like that, you look at 60 minutes, that's quite a good number. Because more than a lot of games have, a lot of 90-minute games used to have. And so you could say, well, actually, that dealt with the issue. The amount of minutes the ball was in play was about right. And certainly those people who defend the idea of we should have, instead of a running clock, a, stop, a stopping clock, most people pitch the amount... Chavi being about, one of those. Yeah, most, most people pitch the end amount at around about an hour. And so you could say, well, so in which case, that part of it is fine. But I think actually what we saw last night is that part of it's not. And this is, as I say, this is a broader debate and one I maybe want to get into properly on another day. But it makes me think, you see, this shows us that it's not just about whether or not you get those 60 minutes. Mm. It's about what the flow of those 60 minutes is. It's about when they happen. And it's about as well, and I don't want to sound like someone who doesn't want to be in the Coliseum Alfonso Pérez until near midnight on a Sunday. It's also about the whole thing. You don't want games where, and I, I'm going I'm to use the, the sort of the Simpsons line, Might someone please think of the children. You don't want games when people are in the stadiums at that time of night. You don't want the game not having a kind of a contained time. And I think that actually shows that last night, and I understand Chavi's point and I understand lots of people's point about trying to have a stopping clock because they think it would it remedy things. My suspicion and my fear, much as I myself have often thought, actually a stopping clock would do this, is that it wouldn't work. And obviously, why does this happen? And it happens because, and here we get back to the stuff that's really about us and about last night's game, because this isn't a product of a, a set of frequent circumstances. This isn't because there was a long VAR review, because actually last night's VAR review, it took them a long time to even go to the VAR, but it actually wasn't very long. It was only about a minute and a bit. Uh, there weren't very many stoppages that involved VAR during the course of the game. There wasn't big yeah. injuries. What happened last night was a product of a way of playing a product of an approach. And that's what I think is significant here is that, is that the response to this is this happened because Getafe wanted it to happen. And mm. I think that's where the big, big debate comes here, which is who holds responsibility for it and, and, and how do you deal with it? Because, you know, Getafe's shithousery, which I think at times has been exaggerated, but last night surely wasn't. Right? Last no. night was, it was really, really I mean, quite you were something. there. Was, you were there watching it firsthand. It was uh, pretty... Uh, well, let me, let me pretty, tell you something about being there. Brand. Yeah, yeah let, me, let me tell you something about being there, actually, which I, I think is a, probably a worthwhile point. I have said lots of times, we've talked about this uh, with various teams, not just Getafe. Quite often when a game seems to be very niggly and very dirty when you're watching it on telly, when you're in the stadium, you don't feel like that because mm. you're not seeing those little details. You're not yes. seeing the little elbow in the ribs or the little confrontation or the little word or the, or the grab of a shirt and all of those kind of things. And so actually in the game, you often think, well, it didn't seem that dirty to me. 
And then you mm. listen to someone who's watched it on the television and they've seen loads of it. And I, I tend generally to lean towards the idea that in the stadium, you get a better view of what it's actually like, even if you're not seeing those details. Last night was one of those where even in the stadium you felt, wow, this is really being stopped a lot. This is really, you know, there's some serious shithousery going on. In particular, Damian, but then, you know, he's kind of this cartoon character. Uh, but I do think there's a slight risk that we cartoonize uh, Getafe. And, and, and sometimes I think that means we exaggerate how bad they are. And at other times I think instead of dealing with how bad they are, we sort of laugh at it. And I must admit, I'm guilty of that as well. Sometimes yes. I watch it, I think this is really funny. Yes. And it sort of is. And, and, and actually, genuinely, it sort of is sometimes. But it also sort of isn't. Um, and there were times last night you actually thought, you know what? <sighs> you don't really want this, do you? No. Um, no. I mean, there was a sort but, of existential uh, question being proposed about, you know, the product of Spanish football. And is this what we want to sell yeah. to the world? That's a, good, that's a good question. And I'm, I'm glad you framed it like that because I probably wouldn't have got around to it in those terms. But I think it's a good way of framing it. And I think that's broadly true. And there is that thing about what are we trying to watch? And Chavi's right that if you want to have a spectacle, this doesn't look very good. Um, but I think there's a problem here. And one of them, one, I think there's two problems. One is that Chavi was effectively saying La Liga have to sort it out and referees have to sort it out. And there's a bit of me that thinks, yeah, but how easy is it when a team sets out to play this way to hmm. stop it? I don't hmm. know how easy it is. I think some of it you well, can evidently do. Evidently, it's very things... difficult for Barcelona, who haven't scored in over four hours well, at the Coliseum. That, and that's the other thing. That, yeah. And that's a, that's a footballing part of it. And of course, he's talking about referees in the league. The other yeah. thing is to turn that argument completely on its head is to say, well, do, do we blame Getafe? Do they have a responsibility to play well? No, they have a responsibility to compete. And if they think this is the way, then they're going to push it. And in fact, it was interesting because even last night, Xavi, who was furious, didn't really go for Getafe. He went no, no, for the he went for, for La Liga. Spoke. He went for La exactly. Liga. He, he went for you know, Javier Tebas went, saying that, they're, that this is allowed. Yeah, he, exactly. He went for those people that I think you could probably refer to as the enablers. Mm. Um, and, and actually Frankie de Jong did that I mean post game mm. yesterday Frankie de Jong said something like there was 30 minutes wasted he said mm. but I don't blame he actually said explicitly I don't blame Getafe they're mm. going to play like that but someone has to draw a line the thing yeah. is drawing a line is not that easy and I think that sometimes we tend to think well you've got to stop every foul then and blow a whistle for every foul and I think, I think that misses the point because I think a team like Getafe that wants to break up the flow actually quite welcomes all the fouls being given mm. and there's another thing here when you're thinking, I was thinking this last night with Damian Damian got booked in the 81st minute. That was quite funny. Quite, yeah. On one I mean, level, yeah. it is quite yeah, funny, yeah, right? Yeah. Because he could have been booked four or five times in there. But for a referee to book you, you've got to see it. And then people say, but what about the VAR? Very few of Damian's fouls off the ball, the little digs, the little nudges, the little cutting across someone's path, sort of accidentally on purpose, bumping into them, the little comments. Very few of those are direct, direct well, red offences. In fact, virtually yeah. none of them are. No, and no. the VAR cannot intervene to give him that yellow. No. So the referee has to see it. And the referee's mm. trying to watch a lot of things. And so I, I come back to this thing where it's difficult because responsibility is Getafe is because they play this way. But I also understand that, well, of course they play this way because if it works. Mm. I, I think there is... All right, one of the things, and it goes back to the timekeeping thing, but I think it's applicable to last night. We tend to have this idea that says now with the added time, well, carry on time wasting because I'm just going to add it on at the end. Yeah. And I think that's conceptually wrong. I think the mentality shouldn't be carry on time wasting, we'll add it at the end. It should be don't time waste. It should be a player's on the floor pretending to be injured. Tell you what, the other team, you can take your free kick now. Take it. Mm. Let's get on with it. And he'll get mm. up in a minute. 
Mm. In fact, it'll get up in one second if you carry on. Um, <laughs> you know, a player time wastes a couple of times. It doesn't matter if it's five minutes into the game. Yellow card comes out. Don't risk doing it again because it will be red. Now, I don't really like authoritarianism in referees, but some of those things I think can, can help. Obviously, VAR hasn't helped with this. But again, this is Hitafe's approach to the game. And I will admit, at times I've defended board last. I kind of almost defend him last night. I think what he's achieved as a manager is extraordinary. I do think at times it's funny. I also do think at times that we overplay it and, and he's been kind of tarred and given a reputation. But just because it's exaggerated doesn't mean it's invented and he has created this and when mm. he acts the victim that's not mm. entirely true either mm. Mm. all right uh, let's talk about the actual football then it was a, a game in which we saw El Gundogan and Uriel Romeo uh, playing their first uh, competitive fixtures for uh, Barcelona um I must say watching Romeo I don't know what the uh, the idea you got in the in the stadium was he didn't look out of place for me in the heart of the Barcelona midfield. I, I thought he had a really quite good, um, quite a decent debut. Yeah, I thought he had a decent debut as well. I thought he he was his positioning was good. He he was he was on the ball quite a lot. What I would say I think is missing from him, or was missing from him last night. But I think this was all of them. And let me come on to Barcelona's midfield more generally in a minute, which is part of Romeo is that when you look back at how Busquets played that role, one of the things we sometimes overlooked was how quickly he would release the ball and play a pass yes. that cut a line out. And maybe mm. do it very simply, so simply that you didn't notice it. And I think Romeo maybe doesn't do that as often, but I thought he was pretty good in a midfield that, that was very static. And this is where I get onto the next point of this. Um, I was, I'm, I'm, I'm going to name drop just because, you know, because I want to contextualise this. Because I was doing this game for ESPN last night, I watched the game with Luis Garcia. And whereas normally we'd be sitting pitch side, we actually the one that drinks sangria. And, yes, I I, oh. I, I I hate to report that yesterday he did not. Um, huh. Rather than watching pitch side, we actually went and sat in the stands where you get a much better view. And it was really really interesting listening to him, who of course played at Barcelona, and understand some of the mechanics. Listening to him talk about space and movement and the way that players moved, and essentially watching Barcelona in the first half. And no one making the kind of runs that open the thing up. And, and I sort of asked him at one point, you know, when it's all static like this, someone's got to do the first run for everything, uh, everything else to sort. Because he was saying, you know, that guy goes there and then that pulls that and then a guy goes into that space. And then when that happens, the other team's got to step out and then you can go and beyond. And, and all of these things that kind of became kind of, uh, what would I call it, self-perpetuating, I guess, right? Or self-dependent. Mm. And I said, so, but, so who makes the first move? He said, you've got to have the movement from everywhere. And he says, no one's doing it. And he said, the guy, the guy that's wide, for example, has to make that run even though he's not getting the ball. And again, and again, and again, and again. And it's not happening. And all the way through the first half, it wasn't happening. And so you had Romeo with the ball, but very, very little movement in front of him. I thought Gundogan had a really poor first half and a really quite good second half. Mm. Mm -hmm. um, and, and throughout the team... And as I say, you know, we could all see that it was static, but it was really interesting listening to someone who understands the mechanics of it. That, and there were moments in the game we said, right, now do the run. Even if mm. you're not going to get the ball, now do the run, and it wasn't happening. Now come inside, mm. now break the line, now go longer so that the defence is forced to go back and then that opens the space in front of them. Or now come short so the defence is forced to come with you and it opens the space behind them. And, and it just never really happened. Um, the couple of times it did, of course, was Rafinha over the right, sort of inside right corner. A couple of times he got in, but it just didn't really happen for them. And... I don't know if that's partly because there's an awareness that Getafe are snapping at you. One of the things that we maybe overlook when Getafe play like this is they're incredibly well organised. And it's genuinely quite mm -hmm. impressive what they do, even if we don't like looking at it. Um, and, and, and I thought Barcelona were really, really 
poor in the first half. Um, just a sort of cultural thing, can you confirm these late kickoffs? 9.30 kicked off, the half-time after 10 minutes would have been about 10.20, 10.30. Were there people eating sandwiches wrapped in tin foil at half-time? Yes, there were. Of course there were. Right, OK. E- even with these late kickoffs. Even and I'm sure even with, the, even with the late kickoffs as well, obviously. This is Spain. Um, let's move on. We'll head up to uh, Bilbao and uh, talk about what happened at the uh, Catedral, at the Cathedral, at San Mames between Athletic Club and Real Madrid. You were there also uh, to witness Real Madrid really putting a pretty impressive performance. An Athletic Club put in a really quite dreadful uh, performance. Mm. Yes, uh, Real Madrid were, were good, but they were up against an utterly insipid uh, Athletic, particularly in the first half, I think. Um, I can't remember which one of the Athletic players was speaking afterwards, and he said the manager changed three of us at half-time, but he could have changed all 11 because we were absolutely yeah. rubbish. Um Rodrigo scored the first goal, uh, well taken. The second one was from Jude Bellingham and the papers here were absolutely cooing over Jude Bellingham. As the day after had the headline, El Jefe es Bellingham. Bellingham is the boss. Um, you know you've had a good uh, debut when uh, the Madrid press are are uh, quite uh, so uh, gushing over you, although we know how fickle they are and if he has a bad game next weekend yeah. um, it won't be the same story. But he was really, really good to, to watch on TV. You were there Pitch side, were you pitch side for this game? No, I was, I was up, up, up no, okay. top. All right, but still, pit- you got you got an idea. Um, yeah. You know, you got an idea of him in the flesh. And I was just impressed by his sensational work rate. If you see his touches map, it is literally all over the pitch. He touched the ball consistently all over the pitch. It was um, very, very impressive. He dropped deep to help out defensively when he had to. He had some exceptionally skillful runs as well. And perhaps people don't realise, or maybe I didn't realise... Just how skillful he is. He's not just someone who's physically strong, who can run, who can drive with the ball. He is unbelievably good with the ball at his feet as well. And OK, it's just been one game, but it's, it's, it's exciting to see a player like this. Yeah, and I like the, I like the headline as well, um, because I think the, 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 key, the, the key is that you use a word like boss. You're not saying just mm-hmm. this guy is very good. You're saying this guy mm. takes responsibility and he leads. And I think in the stadium, that was the thing that was most striking to me. In fact, you know what? I'll be honest with you. The first 15, 20 minutes or so, when he was maintaining that position off the front two, the top of the diamond, and then a couple of times he came deep. And, and I suppose one of the ways to express it is to say that he quite often started and finished the same move. That happened a few times. Um, and, and actually, there was a couple of times in the first half, in the first half of the first half, basically just before he'd scored, um, when I thought to myself, do you know what? I like him more coming from deep when, than when he's at the top of the pitch being the number 10. Because I like him when it feels like he's covering more of the pitch, when it feels like he's making things happen rather than waiting for things to come to him to then make them happen at the top of the pitch. I completely understand the idea of getting him as close to possible as goal. I think one of the beauties of him is that you can have him do everything. Um, and this mm. comes back to that really nice story about the, the, the coach when he was at Birmingham giving him the number 22 because I'm going to get the maths mm. wrong here. Let's hope I get the right numbers because he was a number 10, a number 8 and a number 4 all put together. Is that the right numbers? Yes, it is. That's 22. Um, for, I, I almost said 6 instead of 4, which would have made 24, wouldn't it? But 8, eight and 4 it's, is 12 is plus 24. 10 is that's 22. 24. That's, uh, that's 22. So his number, was, his number was 22. Yeah, but 10 plus 8 so plus 6 is 24. Plus 4. Yeah. No, exactly. That's what I say. I was going to say six, but it's actually four. Ah, okay. That's why it's ah, four. Okay. Right. So it's eight, an eight and a four and a right. ten, all in all in one right. package. And I think I think that's right. Um, there was that moment in the second half. We did that incredible yes. run up the up the right from deep in the right hand side. 
He looks like a brilliant athlete, but there's grace with it. And as you say, the touch on the ball is, is fabulous. Um, I thought a nice little debate on the radio when, when one of the commentators was saying, oh, he's, he's like Zidane, and all the others kind of leapt on mm. him. I said, oh, come on, not like Zidane. And actually, yeah. I thought, it's not so yeah. far off. Um, but does it like the big, strong, skillful, but at the same time physical as well? Yeah, 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 I can see that. Yeah, yeah, you know, a guy that's, that's sort of... I know good for a good touch for a big man is is is, is a cliche and it's it's obviously not often true. But there is something about someone who has the physical presence, and 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 that kind of capacity to to have a very soft touch on the ball, to move it very well, reasonably two footed, uh, sees passes, is good with the ball at his feet in terms of getting away out of tight spaces. I genuinely watched him at the weekend and thought it was funny because this is going to sound really stupid. Here we are raving about him. I felt like it was a kind of a. <laughs> How do I say this? It was sort of low-key at the same mm. time as being absolutely brilliant. Mm. In, the sense that, in the sense that he didn't curl a belter into the top corner. Mm. He didn't go around six men, although that one run was really outstanding. It wasn't like you're saying, wow, look at him spraying these Hollywood passes all over the place. It was just that kind of everything was right. Mm. And everything carried with it the feel, and this comes back to that using that word jefe, the feel of, it's all right, I'm mm. here. I've got this. I'm in control of this. The feel that he wanted the ball all the time, but not just that, but his teammates wanted him to have mm. it. So like, yes, we'll play it through him. We'll give it to him. He'll go and take responsibility. The, a couple of times people lost the ball, teammates lost the ball, and he's the one making the tackle to win it back. He's the one doing the header to get the ball clear. He's the one sliding in. The first two things that he did that were really kind of individual moments that you think, wow, that was good, were both slide tackles. <laughs> I think both on Nico Williams as well. At least one of them was. Um, and you're looking and thinking, OK, well, there's the Bellingham defender, even though he's playing at number 10. And then, as you say, by the end, you look at the heat map and the heat map is, is, is all over the place. I, I thought there was a real assuredness to him, which I think, you know, I, I don't want to overplay the symbolism, but, you know, let's do it because this is sort of the nature of the way we kind of take an image and, and play with it and, and kind of build from it. But even the way he celebrated the goal kind of said, this is a man who's at ease, who's, who's liking this, who's got the confidence to say, all right, I'm here. <laughs> Apparently that's how he celebrates goals. It's a sort of a celebration that he's yes, done he yes, he always has. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. yeah I, I, he stands had, with he his had arms Munayin. open in front of the, the crowd. Yeah, yeah. They just sort of said, "Here we go," and and he had Munain and and uh, and Williams sort of have a word with him. In fact, Williams actually went over to him and say, "Look, come on," and he sort of turned away from him and smiled, uh, not in a not in a kind of up your sort of way. But I think I think a there wasn't really a sense that oh these are the hardcore. And then I actually think there wasn't really a sense that he cared very much one way or the other. I think he didn't care at all, and uh, nor should he. Grande Jude. And, you know, we, we, we are a little bit biased. We want to see him do well because uh, we want to see all uh, British players that come to uh, Spain uh, uh, do well. So uh, he, started off, uh, he started off pretty well. What do we think about Real Madrid signing Kepa, Sid? Because Thibaut Courtois got injured, he's done his cruciate ligaments, he's going to be out for uh, the vast majority of this season. So they've announced today the signing on loan from Chelsea of uh, Kepa Arrizabalaga. Um, I, I mean, my, my initial thought is in, if you're trying to substitute the best goalkeeper in the world, which for me Thibaut Courtois is, then Kepa is a pretty good uh, option uh, late on in the in the transfer window, uh, completely yeah. unexpected. To, to be able to do this deal, it seems like a pretty good option given some of the other names that were being mentioned. Yeah, I mean, look, that's the thing, isn't it? You have to put this into its context. The context is two days before the season starts, Courtois gets the injury. You're not planning for this. You haven't got a backup goalkeeper who you really think is the guy 
that you would like to be playing if, if Courtois is missing. You know, if it's once or twice, fine, but not for a whole season. Um, I think if you look at it like that, I'm, this is why my answer is slightly contradictory. You look at this and you think, well, what's available out there? What's relatively cheap? Who's a decent goalkeeper? This is, this is as good a solution as any. Bono was one solution, but he's got the African Cup of Nations, so you're talking about 12 games that he misses. He probably costs you 20 million euros. Um, there's a handful of other options. I don't really understand why David De Gea hasn't been talked about, but I can only assume... <coughs> excuse me, that his salary is, is really high. And so Kepa makes sense. The bit that's contradictory for me is, and I'd like Chelsea fans to tell me the answer to this, I'm not sure he's that good. Hmm. And I suppose we're about to find out if he is or not. Hmm. Uh, he's had an up and down time at Chelsea, I think it's fair to say. I think yeah. he, played, he played quite a lot uh, last season, uh, but the couple of seasons prior to that, he didn't play too much and there's obviously that famous uh, famous image of him and Mauricio Sarri in the final of the League Cup a couple of yeah. uh, years ago him refusing to come off for the uh, for the penalty shootout I mean that shows quite a bit of personality and I think you do need a lot of personality and character to play as Real Madrid's goalkeeper but you need a lot of character anyway to play at, at Real Madrid and to deal with the pressure and the spotlight to be the goalkeeper I would say it's even even more so it's heightened so uh, yeah yeah Let's see. We'll see. You're right. you're absolutely right. Let's see if he's that good. I think on paper, though, um, it is. Is it in theory yeah. a good signing? It, 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 yeah, it's it's the it's a logical choice, I think. Yeah. But I don't really know, as I say, until until we see him in this environment, until we see him often, because I hadn't seen enough of him at Chelsea. But I've I've never been completely convinced. And even when he left Athletic, when I thought he was very good indeed, and I think people at Athletic thought this, they felt that he'd gone too soon. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They felt that oof, that's that's great money for us. Yeah. Um, Real Madrid losing uh, Eda Militao. Uh, he's uh, out for uh, a long time as well. He's uh, uh, also done his uh, uh, knee ligaments, so that's going to be a, a really big blow as well, isn't it? Losing their best, losing their goalkeeper and their best defender. Massive. Um, excuse me, I've, my throat's going very funny. Uh, yeah, massive blow for them. And, and they, their initial idea, Real Madrid, is is not to replace him. I must confess, yeah. I don't know enough about Castilla. I don't know if there's a uh, a central defender there that would be a, a, well they've got Rudiger choice. and Nacho and they've got they've Rudiger got and Nacho in, in the first team um, so there are players there that can replace him but it does seem a little bit short yeah potentially a little bit short let's uh, let's see how they uh, get on this season uh, without Militao and without uh, Thibaut Courtois uh, we should talk about Valencia as well that magnificent victory for them uh, away at Sevilla on uh, Friday night uh, beating the Europa League holders by two goals to one the, uh, the winning goal was scored by Javi Guerra late on, not for the first time. You remember his uh, winner against Valladolid in April, which went a long way to keeping them up. The opening goal was scored by Mukta Diakabi, who was playing in central midfield. Didn't see that one coming. But you know what? I was watching this Valencia performance and I thought they gave it a real go. There was no sense of negativity. And we'd been at Mistaya the, season before, the weekend before the season started and it didn't feel like a particularly happy place. There were chants against the borders. There have been. There were some whistles against some of the players as well. And then there was support for the team when they were going forward. But it just felt like this is not a happy place. The players went out against Sevilla on Friday and they took the game to them. There was no fear. There was no nerves. There was no, oh my God, we're starting a season and we've got a really short squad. And, you know, what? no, there was none of that. Fran Perez, Diego Lopez, they were both in the starting 11, both really vibrant down the wings as they always are. Hugo Duro is not a good enough number nine for someone for Valencia. You know, I'll say that again, but he led the line 
pretty well for them against uh, against Sevilla. And this is a massive, massive result. And once again, Sydney, the kids getting Valencia out of trouble at the start of the season. And this was exactly what we were talking about, wasn't it, during the summer and after we'd seen them in, in pre-season. That idea that this depends on these kids being genuinely good. And in the case of Javi Guerra, we think he is. In the case of some of the others, I think we, we, we still have to see just how good they are. Um, and I think that, that attitude really matters. And, and it does suggest to you, and, and actually Mendelibar had said this, talking about when he was asked about his opponents, he says, it's the kids at the club at Valencia that truly believe in what the manager wants to do. And they're the ones mm. that will force it through. Now, obviously then there's a talent element. And of course there is. And that's the fundamental thing in any team. Are the players good enough? But if you get that momentum and you start to get some of that talent to, to, to show itself on the pitch, then, then that will be the key to them surviving. I still agree with you. I still think we shouldn't be looking at this and thinking, wow, they're absolutely going to be fine. No. But it's a very good early start. No, no, no. I think they're still going to struggle. Let's, let's talk again at the end of the transfer window because they absolutely need to bring in some people because they have lost Edinson Cavani, Yunus Musa, uh, Samuel Lino, uh, Nico Gonzalez, um, Ilaish Moriba, uh, some really important players. And, yeah. and they brought in Pepelu, a midfielder from Levante. who's a good midfielder, he's a good player, but that's it. And brought anyone else in. They need to strengthen this squad. Let's see if that happens. Yeah, and then and then I think we can assess them uh, in terms of uh, their... In fact, in fact let's, let, let's, let's be honest about it. When you, when, you, when you see Diakabi in the middle of midfield, you wonder <laughs> if this is partly Baraka saying to the club, look, I'm playing him in midfield. Yeah, I, I called that it... That tells a, you that we need someone I there. I called a cry for help on our WhatsApp group, didn't I? Yeah. Um, but then he popped up and scored a goal, so there we go. Yeah, yeah. So, so, you know, what do we know? Yeah. <laughs> um, Isco started for Betis, and he actually played pretty well, Sydney. I mean, I didn't see all of this game, but I saw some extended highlights, and, and he was involved in a lot of good things that Betis created. He was involved in the, uh, in the, in the first goal as well, and uh, he looked like... He looked like an actual footballer, Sid. Like, we hadn't seen Isco... OK, yeah. last season with Sevilla, he played OK. You know, he was... He, he, yeah. But this time, it was back to being creative at the heart of good stuff in the final third. And it's exciting to see. Absolutely. And, and look, I, I would argue, and, and have argued, that I thought he played all right at Sevilla last year. I thought that he was one of the few players that looked like he was doing something during a period when the whole thing was, was collapsing. But it's true that he... Even then, he looked a little heavy. He doesn't look heavy now. Um, I think talent-wise, he's he's obviously a fantastic player. I think he's with the right kind of manager. I mean, he is the embodiment, if you like, of a Pellegrini player, someone who might normally play on a, in a wide position, but basically be coming inside all the time, always playing, uh, keeping the ball short, keeping keeping the game uh, sort of slow to then speed up rather than rather than playing through quick transitions. Um, someone who's got good players around him, and in the first half in particular, he combined well with with Luis Enrico. By the way, just before the goal had like a five-minute spell when he just, poor old Alberto Moreno, he just kind of kept going at him and kept taking him to bits. And I thought he played really, really well as well. And, and it's, it's really pleasing. And I think it's the right environment for him. I guess the question is, does this get maintained? Um, Pellegrini talked about the desire for revenge, if you like, or the desire to prove a point that, that Isco had and how that might fuel him. And I suppose the question is, how long does that last? And, and how long does that fuel him for? And is there a point at which he starts to think, oh, I've... I'm back now, and then maybe gets comfortable. But I think if he's playing consistently, and this is one of the things we forget about Real Madrid, is he didn't play consistently. So when he did get the opportunities, he'd come from a long period of not really playing, with probably deep down a feeling that he wasn't going to get the chance to continue in the team. And so maybe this is the right environment for him. We, we were saying in the summer, weren't we, this could be absolutely brilliant, or it could fall apart. 
I really hope it's the absolutely brilliant option. Uh, he started 47 league games in five years at Isco prior to uh, this season. He has not played a lot of league football at all. Uh, exactly. Let's see Let's see how he gets on, but it was a, a positive start for him and Los Verde Blancos with that uh, late winner scored by uh, William Jose. Uh, before we go, let's mention the Segunda División, a good start to the season for Valladolid. They beat Sporting 2-0. Not so much for the other two relegated teams. Elche were beaten 1-0 at home by Racing Ferrol and Espanyol were held to a 1-1 draw by Albacete. Racing Santander beat uh, Eibar 4 nil and Levante drew 1-1 at Amora Bieta. Uh, Oviedo get there. This time it's definitely happening season underway against Tenerife this evening, Sydney. Um, the Women's World Cup, congratulations to Spain. They're in the semi-finals for the first time ever after beating the Netherlands 2-1 on Friday. They're playing Sweden in the semis tomorrow and Sid, you're convinced they're going to win the tournament? They're going to win it. They're <laughs> going to win the World Cup. Okay. Why? Just because they are. Okay, they're because they are. Fine. I, I mean, for, what it's worth, for what it's worth, I genuinely haven't seen a team play better than them, apart from maybe Japan against them. Okay. Well, let's see. It would be magnificent because we have yet to experience, Al and I, uh, any uh, national team uh, glory since we, uh, since we moved here 11 years ago. So uh, let's see. If are, you, are, you not, are, you not, are you not counting the, 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 the men's team, what do you call it, final four of the Nations League? Are we? I guess we are. No, well, maybe we? we are. I don't yeah. know. It felt a li- perhaps a little bit underwhelming to the uh, three-peat of the two Euros <laughs> and the World Cup. And, uh, but anyway, good luck to the, uh, the women's team uh, tomorrow. Uh, we will be uh, following their progress and hoping that they get through uh, to the final to face either Australia or England. Uh, that's it for the first edition of the Spanish Football Podcast. Thank you very much for joining us as ever. Uh, if you want us, we're over at Patreon for the rest of the week. Patreon.com forward slash TSFP. If there's something that you want us to talk about and we didn't talk about it on the podcast, send us a question. Uh, We will answer it. We'll speak soon, amigos. Adios. Cheerio. Network.